Psychologists tell us that uh, most of us begin life with a childhood dream of being a superhero with superhuman powers. And part of growing up just includes uh, imagining and role-playing about superpowers. And I grew up with a uh, plastic superhero named G.I. Joe. Uh, He wore green fatigues and uh, plastic uh, combat boots and a real fake beard. And uh, whenever you pulled his dog tag, uh, he would say, I'm G.I. Joe, ready for action. And uh, Joe and I did reconnaissance missions through the kitchen and into the dining room. Uh, We broke into my sister's uh, room and cracked the code on her fuzzy diary, uh, (laughs) holding communist secrets and... uh, Uh, My sister couldn't believe how much fun I could have with a doll who couldn't uh, uh, blink or wet its pants. And I, of course, uh, corrected her that G.I. Joe was not a doll. He was an action figure. And as an action figure, he had superhero powers. And if you don't think G.I. Joe had superpowers, well, you just didn't have a very good imagination. Uh, My G.I. Joe had superpowers, including the power of flight. I would throw him out the second story window of our house and he would sail majestically down to the backyard. And uh, that is until one Saturday uh, when I was, uh, Joe and I were flying and I was on my way downstairs to the uh, backyard to uh, uh, retrieve him. And I remembered that my dad was mowing the lawn and uh, I heard those awful noises. And uh, got to the backyard and saw the horrible scene of shredded green fatigues and a plastic, uh, flesh-colored plastic. And uh, apparently the commies had uh, defeated Joe with their Sears Roebuck death machine. And so I brought Joe's remains upstairs to the bathtub and uh, wanted to soak his wounds. And I only made things worse from that day on. Whenever I pulled that dog tag, he would say, Oh, Joe, I'm And uh, my point is that we all grow up with a fascination over superpowers. And I believe this is because we have all uh, all been uh, inborn with a knowledge that we have been created for something beyond the ordinary. God creates us with a built-in longing for superhuman power. And maybe God builds in this longing because it is God's plan through Christ, to fulfill this longing in his children with superhuman power. At least this is what Paul reveals in the final words of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Would you please uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, that should be on page 807. And today we conclude our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in in the Greek city of Corinth. And we conclude with some words that are truly life-changing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. 
explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And in these words, the Apostle Paul brings his contrast between human wisdom and God's wisdom to an exciting climax by explaining that through the indwelling Spirit of God, Christ followers have superhuman powers of Spirit-led thinking. In verse 14, Uh, Paul begins his description of this superhuman ability given to those with God's indwelling spirit through a description of those without God's spirit. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. And Paul explains that those without the indwelling spirit of God cannot accept God's wisdom, cannot understand God's wisdom, and cannot make discernments based on God's wisdom. But Paul has a double purpose here. By explaining what unbelievers cannot do, Paul is at the same time explaining what believers can do. Paul is explaining that Christ followers are empowered by God's indwelling spirit. So believers can Accept God's wisdom. Believers can understand God's wisdom. And believers can make discernments based on God's wisdom. This last power, uh, making discernments based on God's wisdom, is the most important spiritual superpower. And it's the one that Paul elaborates on in verse 15 in these very important words. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. This is a crucial statement because in these words, Paul is supplying both the definition of the superpower that God gives to his children and Paul is supplying the reason why many believers actually don't have much experience in this superpower. First, what is the superpower? The superpower that God gives his children is spirit-led thinking that results in correct value judgments about all things in life. That is what Paul means by this simple statement, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Paul is saying that God gives his Spirit to his people in a way that gives them a superhuman ability to think with the proper perspective on all things in life, to think with correct decision-making about all things in life, to think with healthy approaches uh, to all things leading to a life of optimum joy and peace and purpose for this world and the next. And this is what it means to have the mind of Christ. No human being has ever lived a better life than Jesus did. 
Jesus is the most joyful, most happy, most free, most fearless, most wise person who has ever lived on this planet. And so those who are filled with his spirit have been given the superhuman ability to live uh, in this optimum state of life. Uh, So this is what all Christ followers experience, right? Wrong. Uh, Many believers fail to engage in the power of spirit-led thinking. And the second half of verse 15 explains why. Paul writes, this person with the spirit is not subject to merely human judgment. And this phrase implies that there is human opposition uh, and human judgment that always comes against those who follow God's wisdom. Paul states that the believers who follow God's wisdom are not subject to human judgment, But that does not change the fact that Christ followers often shrink back from God's wisdom due to the fear-inducing voices of human judgment that come from the believer's sin nature on the inside as well as from the voices of the world on the outside. So God offers his children a superhuman ability to make accurate value judgments about all things in life. But because following God's wisdom uh, comes with intense opposition from human wisdom, uh, many believers don't engage in this spirit-led thinking that would lead them to optimum joy and meaning in life. Human wisdom will always attack those who follow God's wisdom. And Paul explains why in verse 14. He says, to human wisdom, uh, spirit-led thinking is foolishness. And the ancient word for foolishness is a term of intense ridicule. And there is intense ridicule. Uh, that comes against spirit-led thinking. In spirit-led thinking, God's wisdom says, don't worry about tomorrow because God cares for you. Well, human wisdom says, you fool, of course you need to worry. Do you really think that this God you cannot see is going to take care of you? Come on, only The insane and first graders believe in an invisible friend. Uh, Don't be a fool. There's no escape from worrying. You have to take care of yourself because no one else will. And this intimidation of human wisdom comes mainly from inside more than anywhere else. And many believers become subject by subjecting themselves to this kind of human judgment. And as a result, instead of finding the peace that God uh, promises through spirit-led thinking, they are stressed out and strung out and bottled up with all kinds of anxiety and making bad choices by following the crowd and making bad decisions out of fear. They become powerless people when they could be superhuman 
when they could be superpowered by making correct value judgments about all things in life. But there is also ridicule against God's wisdom, which says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So open your hands and Give yourself away and serve others. Follow God's will instead of your selfish desires. But human wisdom sneers with ridicule and says, You fool, it's not more blessed to give. It's more blessed to get. Everybody knows that. And get as much money and stuff as you can with with one hand and with the other hand. Hold it and protect it. And only a fool would make uh, life busier by giving time to serving people. Oh, maybe after I retire, I'll have time to serve. But now, I need all the time for me. The same goes with my money. Uh, Only a fool would give away 10%. I mean, giving money and tithing is uh, for people who have everything that they want. Uh, I still have lots of things I want to get. Maybe after I have satisfied all my desires and I'm totally comfortable, maybe then I can give to others. At this point in my life, I would be a fool to give away my time and my money. Many believers become subject to this kind of human judgment. And as a result, their hearts become harder and harder and their lives become smaller and smaller. And they become inwardly focused and blind to the opportunities that God gives them to make their lives count for all eternity. And they become powerless people when they could be superhuman by making correct Value judgments about all things in life. A pastor friend of mine told me a a sad story about a funeral that was uh, held in his church. Uh, It was a funeral for a person who was supposed to be a believer, uh, but who lived by this human wisdom and ended up living a very selfish uh, life, very selfish with his uh, time and his money. And the, the future was open to anyone. Uh, but it was only attended by a few family members who really did not want to be there because uh, they did not miss the man in the casket. And just before the funeral began, uh, one of the family members told the pastor that uh, they would like to play a song that uh, was a favorite of the deceased. And the pastor didn't even have time uh, to even ask what the, uh, the name of the song was. Uh, Anyway, uh, near the end of the funeral, uh, a family member came up and uh, put a boombox CD player on the casket and uh, played a song made famous by Frank Sinatra. And the pastor said that when he heard uh, the, the lyrics of this song played on top of this man's corpse, played to an empty room, Vacant of anyone who loved this man or missed this man or honored this man. As the song played, the pastor just began to just weep and weep with a sense of the tragedy of this life that was so far below what God intends for his children. The lyrics of the song boomed out from the casket. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. 
I lived a life of full, that's full. I traveled each and every highway. And much more, more than this, I did it my way. Regrets? I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course and each careful step along the byway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. And the song ended. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, and I did it my way. Sinatra's My Way is a great song, a powerful song. It's a kind of anthem to human wisdom. It's the testimony of one who never kneels, who never gives to others, never serves others, but everything in life is to serve me, myself, and goes my way. And it was a powerful song played on the casket of a powerless believer who left no loved ones, made no impact by following the human wisdom of doing it my way, my way. God calls you to be superhuman, a superhuman force of blessing in this world that results in great reward for you in this life and the next. But human wisdom calls this kind of thinking foolishness. And if you subject yourself to that human judgment, you just may end up with a CD player on your casket in an empty room. As a follower of Jesus, God empowers you with the ability to make correct value judgments about all things in life. But the Corinthians prove how easy it is to exchange the spirit-led thinking that is your birthright for something far, far less. This is Paul's point as he begins chapter 3. After saying we have the mind of Christ to end chapter 2, look at what Paul says in the first verses of uh, chapter 3. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I just love that last line from Paul. Are you not acting like mere humans? And that says it all, right? If you are a Christ follower, you are not a mere human being. God is calling you to superhuman power and superhuman lifestyle through a superhuman thought life made possible by His indwelling Spirit. God calls you to be superhuman. So don't settle for merely a merely human life of petty jealousy and quarreling. But enough generalizing. Uh, let's try to get specific here uh, about man- what it would be like to, to manage your life uh, 
like you were following Jesus uh, and your thought life was spirit directed. Uh, Can you imagine uh, what your life would be like if you allowed God to fill your mind and then you lived out of your mind? Uh, Paul summarizes what the end result would look like in uh, his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 6. He says, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So there's your choice. Uh, You can follow uh, and fill your mind with uh, human wisdom, which leads to jealousy and quarreling. Or you can fill your mind with God's wisdom, which leads to life and peace. I don't know about you, but I choose life and peace. So let's see what your life would look like, what my life would look like in a typical day with this kind of mindset. Uh, Everyone starts the day uh, with waking up, but everyone actually uh, starts waking up with different thoughts. Uh, Someone has said that there are uh, two groups of people in the world. Those people who love getting up in the morning and those who hate People who love getting up in the morning. And uh, the truth is, there's nothing wrong with uh, not wanting to to get out of bed, I guess, or being slow in the morning. But there is something wrong uh, if your first waking thought is, I don't want to get out of bed because I dread facing this day. This day is going to be a day that is awful. Because I have too much to do and not enough time to do it. Or if your first waking thought is of worry, if my first waking thought is fearful, I'm just subjecting myself to a human judgment that is the opposite of what God wants for me. I start my day on an infinitely better tone if my first thought of the day is of God's love and God's care for me. In Psalm 56, verse 16, King David says, In the morning, God, I will sing of your love. And then in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Morning by morning, I lay my requests before you, God. So instead of waking with the thoughts of defeat before the day has even started, I can start my day with thoughts of God and his love for me, how God has a good plan for each day, how God fills me with a joy that I can actually share with others throughout my day in a way that makes my life really count. So instead of lying in a bed of fear, the first thing I can do is lay in my requests before God and ask God for wisdom for the choices I'll have throughout the day. So I can do what is most important throughout the day. And I can ask for strength uh, from God to help me uh, to serve him well. This may sound corny, but it is not. Every person becomes who they are due to the accumulation of their thoughts. Everyone knows someone who is just negative, right? Uh, This is a person who is always complaining about circumstances, always critical of people in their life, uh, never happy because things just don't seem to go right for them. How does a person get this way? It's not the result of DNA patterns. It's the result of thought patterns. Joyful thought patterns lead to joyful people. 
negative thought patterns make a negative person. Grumpy thought patterns may uh, make you perfect for a job at the Department of Motor Vehicles, but it (laughs) is not perfect for a witness of Jesus, that Jesus is alive and that God's wisdom makes a difference in a person's life. So uh, this is why my first waking thoughts are so important. They are the beginning of a pattern. I need to wake with spirit-led thoughts that will set the pattern for the entire day. But then after waking, I I get dressed, and eventually I'm going to come into contact with some people. And maybe I live with someone, uh, I have co-workers, or maybe I'll just be seeing people in my errands around town. Wherever I meet people, I meet challenges to a healthy thought life. Uh, people can be rude. Uh, people can be proud. Uh, that Those people just might be me. Uh, human wisdom teaches me to react with jealousy and quarreling. Human wisdom sends me through the day with thoughts like, he's more successful than I am. That makes me feel bad. I hope that something bad happens to him. That will make me feel better. Or she's more attractive than I am. I'll feel better by talking her down and critiquing her faults with my friends. Why do I have this junky car? I won't be happy until I can have an expensive car and drive it into a bigger uh, house. That guy driving to me has a junkier car than I do. I must be better and smarter than he is. I'm late for this meeting. Uh, the truth is, I didn't allow enough time to get there on, uh, on the, uh, the punctual time. But I'll tell everybody that I'm late because the traffic was bad. Because that will protect my image. My flight is canceled, and so I'm going to stamp, and I'm going to fume, and I'm going to scream until someone satisfies me. The guy working on my house made a mistake. So I'm going to sue him, and I'm going to make him pay until he bleeds. I hate my job. My boss is a jerk. My coworkers are idiots. If I win the lottery, I'm going to tell these people off, and I'm never coming back. And if I live with this kind of a mind, my life will be full of resentment and anger and anxiety and fear and discontent. And this human wisdom leads to this kind of jealousy and quarreling. But as I have thoughts that are led by the Spirit, I enjoy a much different set of thought patterns. When I hear of someone I know who has had uh, success in uh, Even in my field, I can share in the good news and actually derive joy from someone else's good results. I can be secure in the way I look and in my standard of living. I can be thankful for what I have instead of always yearning for the next toy or the bigger this or the better that. Instead of despising my boss and complaining about my co-workers, I can see my dark workplace as the perfect place to shine with God's love. Instead of seeing the people around me as obstacles, I can see them as opportunities. I can see, instead of them being obstacles to my selfish goals, I can make it my goal to make a loving difference in their lives. 
I can forgive people who hurt me. I can love people who dislike me. I can learn from people who criticize me because I, I follow the one who hung on the cross. I can sit in traffic and I can enjoy a moment of calm. I can stand in line at a grocery store and let a harried mom with kids jump in front of me. And uh, I can experience canceled flights and lost luggage and dashboard lights with perspective that comes with being filled with the eternal God of all ages. And I can end each day with thoughts of praise to God for His beauty in creation. At the end of the day, I can reflect with gratitude for His love in my life. I can reflect with joy on the meaningful relationships that I'm growing and for the privilege of being a part of God's plan to bless other people in the name of Jesus with the same love He has showered into my life. Again, this may sound corny, but it is not. This is what Paul means by his claim that those who have the Spirit of God indwelling them can live each day making correct judgments about all things in life. This is what he means, that a mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You may say this sounds impossible. Well, you're right. It is superhuman. This kind of thinking is impossible to mere humans. But God, through His Spirit, has no intention of leaving you as a mere human. If you follow Jesus, this impossible thought pattern is your birthright as a child of God. And claiming this birthright is the intentional walk of two steps. Repeated over and over as you follow God and His Word. First, step one. Reject human wisdom and refuse to be subject to human judgment as you follow God's Word. Step two. Yield to God's Spirit throughout the day and keep asking Him to help you think thoughts that lead to life and peace. This is what it means to have the mind of Christ. It is filling my mind with God's wisdom and then living out of my mind. Would you please stand now as we close?